Good morning. Uh, those of you who don't have a seat yet, uh, we're, don't worry, we're fixing the chair. We got it. Last service, she fell over the backside when I interviewed her, and it was just a horrible thing. But no, I'm just teasing. I'm totally teasing. Hey, listen, some of you don't have a seat, and uh, if there's not a seat in here, the village has open seats, uh, and that's down the hall, so if you want to head there, you can. Uh, but anyway, anyways, uh, this morning, we're excited to dive in. I just have a couple things uh, to give you an update on. First, last week, Trish and I and our two younger daughters went to California to end the web of lies. Now, my wife has been lying for six weeks. Really, I've been praying for her, and as a pastor, I couldn't partake in that, but she's been in a web of lies she's created. I didn't partake in any of it. Um, because six weeks ago, Garrett, Lauren's boyfriend, flew out here and asked for Lauren's hand. And so she didn't know it, but we surprised her by being there for a huge party. There's a picture. There they are. You're not too excited about that. Are you questioning him? Now, just know, you know my personality, I wrote a 75-question suitor exam. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, I did. I wrote a 75-question suitor exam. We graded it last night. Uh, it was amazing, so just know that he's, uh, he's gone through the gauntlet. In fact, last night he texted that Lauren's phone was broken, and we just said, that was question number 76, how will you fix your your fiance's cell phone, right? We're just starting to pass off those questions. Anyway, uh, this weekend, we uh, as elders, for the past probably three to four years, we have been doing something that you just need to know, uh, that our, we're an elder-led church that's pastor, uh, we're elder-ruled, but, pa or excuse me, elder-ruled, staff-led. That means our staff kind of operates uh, a lot of the, you could use the word deacon. Some of you have heard that word before, functions in our church. But our, but our elders, we gather together for prayer uh, at the Abbey from Thursday night till Saturday morning about where is our church and where is the direction and where are some of the things that are not healthy and what is healthy. And so we just talk and pray a lot about that. You need to know that. I walk out of that weekend, and usually Trish will ask me how to go, and I told her this time, I feel super heavy. Uh, not in a sense of bad news, but the weight of what God's doing here and the responsibility is weighty. And I'm telling you that first to be praying for the elders and to be praying for leadership and staff, but we take very serious the call to do this. This is not a popularity show or a chance for us to be, you know, famous Honestly, the scripture warns the teachers and the leaders of a church, and we feel very weighty from theology to shepherding to Sunday mornings to ministries all across the board. So you just, I wanted you to know that, that your elders do that, and I'm going to share a little bit more next week kind of about where our church, uh, some of the things that we kind of uh, looked at and felt God was leading us in. So you just need to hear that, and I just, uh, I thank you for your prayers in that. This morning... We're going to do another what we call Red X story. And, and the reason we see those important, in Psalms 107, verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord 
tell their story. Friends, you read the scriptures and throughout, they would gather around either campfires or wells and they would tell stories. And the stories were, how did God change you? What did he do for you? How did he move you? Well, tell us the stories about Jesus. And they would gather and talk about that. And the Bible is clear that testimony is a great ministry mechanism that God has taught us to talk about and to use because testimonies influence us, don't they? They move us, they change us. And hearing the stories of other people only affirm or challenge us. And so this morning, I want to interview somebody, but I want to make very clear. We're going to interview somebody this morning not to sensationalize and, hey, we have a really crazy story to tell you this morning. We are bringing this story to you not to talk really about the other parties involved, because in this story this morning, there's other parties involved. We're not judging or trying to shame or point a finger at anybody else, because the truth is, right, we're all broken, we're all flawed, we're all sinners. What we're going to celebrate this morning is the story that Amanda has about how God's moved her. I just want to make sure that's clear for everybody. We don't, this has nothing to do of judging anybody else, but how did God move in this story that we're going to hear this morning. I, and so for Amanda's story this morning, I'm, draw, I'm drawn straight to James. As I've heard her story several times, I'm moved to this. James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Not if you do, but whenever you do. Of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance... Finish its work so that you may mature and complete and not lacking in anything. This per word perseverance, I love it. It's the word hupomone. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's a Greek word. It means to stay underneath. And the picture is like, like if you're, you're exercising and lifting weights. It's to, to stay underneath the repetition of, of a weight. Because you know the more you do that, that it's... it's it's straining the muscle and it's tearing the muscle fibers because what it's going to do, it's going to build itself up, right? You're going to get stronger. Friends, I find it interesting in the church that we have become a very consumeristic culture that thinks that we're supposed to avoid trials and problems. And yet James is saying you consider it a gift because you know you're going to get stronger through it. We're not... And so we have people in the church today, many Christians, who said there's a problem. I don't like the pastor, these people, and I'm just going to bolt. And what bothers me so much is, do we ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, you're supposed to be here because it's a trial. Maybe I'm your trial, right? Maybe I'm your trial. Every week, i got to bear what this guy's going to... Maybe I am. Whatever it is, God's saying, you got to stay underneath that. Don't just try to avoid it. Because it's going to strengthen who you are. And so this morning, we get to hear a great story um, from Amanda. So will you welcome uh, Amanda Bader this morning? Well, number two, are you okay? A little yeah, bit more relaxed? Yeah, I think I'm good. Good. She's a little bit nervous this morning. She fell over the back in the chair. <laughs> Again, she didn't. We were fearful <laughs> that might happen with our broken leg. Anyway, Amanda, we want to dive right in. So let's, why don't you catch everybody up? 
Who you are? Who are you? Where are you from? How'd you grow up? Let's just dive in there. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I'm a group fitness instructor and also front desk and membership director at Western Racket. Um, kind of a little story about me is I have a bachelor's in criminal justice, and I wound up in the fitness industry. I just completely fell in love with those. The are similar, right? Oh, very. Like criminal justice <laughs> and what you do to people with exercising. Yeah. Anyway, punishment and pain. Anyway, enough said. I completely fell in love with the process of helping others. Um, we all have a journey, whether it be in life or whether it be in the fitness, wherever we're at. And everyone has a journey, and I love being able to help people in that. Um, I grew up on a farm um, out in Wayside, which is a little unincorporated town out in the corner of Brown County. Um, I had a great upbringing. Um, I grew up um, going to um, a Lutheran school, kindergarten to eighth grade. So I learned all about God at a very young age. I've always known of him um, and always had a relationship with him. You have parents, right? Yes. My mother is right over here. Hi, Mom. I haven't met you yet. Hi. <laughs> and was, is Dad here this service? No, Dad left. He, he, so, so they're switching places here. So Dad <laughs> was your first service, Mom's your second. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So you have a faith background. Yes. You grow up in the church. Uh, how, tell me a little bit about your faith back time. Where, where was God in your picture um, when you were that young? Well, as a child, you know, we, you learn all the Bible verses, and you, um, you go through confirmation, and you go to religion classes. And I always knew of him, but I, um, I, I f fell on and off with my relationship with him. Like, I kind of... Yeah. I compare it to a long-distance friend relationship. Like, I could always call him whenever I wanted, and we would pick up right where we left off. But a lot of the times, you know, he, would, he, all, he could always, whenever I needed him, I could call him. But sometimes when he would be calling me, I was not answering, Yeah, I feel. It's almost like that, the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. You know, the father's always waiting. Yeah. It's us that kind of go back and forth, right? Yeah. And coming back to him. Yep. So you're... I think you're 17 years old yep. and you start to make some choices and so you know a little bit of the prodigal moment for you but talk about that choice I got pregnant at a very young age 17 um, I made a choice and um, I firmly do not believe in abortion I remember first or second grade um, watching uh, a video on abortion that we watched in school and I remember these children singing for their parents to let them live. And that has stuck with me all the way through till now. And it's, it's amazing the things that you remember when you're so young that stick out to you. And when I found out that, um, that I was pregnant, I, I remember that video and it wasn't even an option for me. So it's so amazing. We think about our kids in children's ministries and some of these moments that we have no idea are going to stick. And so that one seemed to, to do that for you. And what a joy because how much you love your daughter. How old's your daughter right now? She'll be 14 next month. Yeah. So there's a father of your child, and we're intentionally uh, want to honor, if that sounds strange, especially when we hear the story, but, but we're not here to drag his name through uh, anything, and, mm -hmm. and, but we're going to tell your story. So we're gonna, you're going to refer to him as... He or the man. He, the man, the man. So anyway, just so you know that when you hear that, that that's kind of where we're heading. So talk about that. You, you make this choice, and you, you get into uh, a relationship. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the struggle you had in that relationship because I think there was some abuse you talked about and some fear. Talk through that a little bit. There, there was never any physical part, but sometimes I feel like the verbal and the emotional part is worse than the physical. Um, for two and a half years, I, I, I did, I, I lived in fear and I, I never left that relationship for a couple of reasons because I wanted a family. I wanted this family to stay together. I did not want to be a single mom. I wanted my daughter to be able to grow up with a, a father figure. And I also, I didn't leave because every time that I did leave, he would threaten to kill himself. And that was the last thing that I wanted on my conscience. So I said, all right, this is, this, these are the cards that are dealt to me. I'm going to deal with it. And um, finally, it was July 4th, 2003. And I, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Yeah. And you're how old at this point? I'm 32. No, no, I know that. Oh. You, you didn't even have to say that. At this point in your story. Oh, I am. <laughs> if they do the math, they would There know. you go. You're how old? I am 20. At that point. Yeah. And I just think, gosh, even for having four daughters, just thinking at, from 17 to 20 to half, who's prepared for that kind of struggle? Uh, and some of you, I know this morning, this is going to have kind of strings and, and threads of situations that you're in that might, might be abusive. And I had said this last service, and I want to say it again. Sometimes, and I think many times, abuse is not physical. But I would say that the emotional abuse uh, really comes out of words that are said. And, and my belief is that Scripture talks about, James himself says, that words are, can damage a life. I said at the last service, anybody remember growing up at recess uh, and you got the rumor that someone was going to fight you at recess? Did anyone remember that? Like, I totally remember those days. It was like near soiling myself because I was about 50 pounds and like, oh no, here it goes. And yet we would, we would go to the, the lot and of course I would win. Um, no, not really. Actually, a girl beat me up once, but that's a different story. Um, uh, I always ended up being friends with those people after that. And I go, gosh, there's something about it's just working stuff out with people. But today, with social media and just the words that are used are so abusive. And I know a lot of you are in homes where, gosh, what's being said is just not right. And... Today, I just want you to know, I think there's, there is room for you to remove yourself from that situation, and we'll talk more about that. But, so you've made a choice, you've, you've had this, uh, you've had your daughter, uh, again, the threats, but then you, you kind of draw a line in the sand, it's July 2003, uh, but then there's a whole package of here of this, kind of it escalates. So let's just talk through that, what starts to happen and unfold. Well, I left and I moved back in, um, back home with my, um, with my dad and my brother and my sister. And um, I was at a friend's house in Green Bay one night and I got a phone call from, um, from him saying that he um, was on my way to my dad's house to get Jasmine, that he had a police officer and his lawyer with him and that he was gonna take my daughter. And I immediately drop what I'm doing and I'm heading out, out to my home and 
um, he calls me and said, instead, meet me at this gas station a couple miles away. And so we're out in the country, and I, um, I met him there. I got there first and parked, and then he pulled next to me and motioned for me to get into his vehicle, and I got in, and he immediately puts the car into reverse and takes me on a little ride. We're going 110 miles an hour. He's saying he's going to kill both of us, that I broke up his family, and that his life is over. And um, a lot of stuff happened. I finally got him calmed down, and he's going to take me back to my vehicle. And we're almost there, and he shoots down another highway, again, going 110 miles an hour. And at this point, I'm very calm. Like, at first, I, I panicked a little bit, freaked out. Well, and um, who wouldn't? Okay, 110 <laughs> miles an hour, I'm in my life. Anybody else would be freaked out? Yep, me. I would be freaked out, for sure. Um, I told him, uh, as cars are starting to come towards us, I'm like, I hope that, that, that that's a cop, and he pulls us over. And so he slowed down uh, to about 45 miles an hour, and I was always curious as to what would happen if he threw a car into park while it's going, while well, it just stops. <laughs> <laughs> and um, come screeching to a halt, I jumped out of the car. Um, we sat there arguing in the dark alongside of the road for a while. Um, and then cars are starting to come towards us again, and he told me that if I motion for them to stop that he would kill them and he would kill me because he had a, gu a gun in the car and so I um, the car goes by and I just let them go and then I told him I'm like someone's gonna hit us so maybe we should turn the lights on or something and he turned the hazard lights on well the next car stopped and again I didn't say anything but you could see the expression on my face that yeah. I was obviously distraught and um, they stopped and it was a couple in their mid-40s and um, asked if everything okay, was okay, and the man, he just completely switched his personality back to this charming person that everyone kind of thought that he was. Mm -hmm. And um, he just said, oh yeah, everything's fine, and you know, we're just waiting for her dad to come in and give us a jump because the, the battery died. And the guy looked at me, and he looked at the car, and he's like, well, if the battery's dead, why are the hazard lights on? And he immediately switched back into this person that I'm afraid of, and he told them to get out of there, to leave, and um, that it was none of their business, and the guy, big guy, gets out of the car, and he said, well, you just made it my business, and his wife motions for me. <laughs> it's like a movie, isn't it? Clint Eastwood gets out, you know? You just made my day. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> um, I jump into their vehicle, they take me home, long story short, um, He's arrested and um, he was bailed out and um, didn't really have a whole lot of contact with him um, for the next couple of months. And then um, next chapter in my life, it was February 2004 and I'm sleeping, it's middle of the night and I'm sleeping at home with my daughter and um, it's kind of uh, like a scene out of a movie. My, my door flies open in my bedroom, a man in a black ski mask comes barging in with a gun pointed right at my head. And um, I knew immediately it was him because he's wearing his jacket, so dummy. <laughs> Black Columbia jacket, I remember. Um, my dad is not home. He was at his girlfriend's now, my now stepmom's house, and um, my sister was gone, so it was just my brother, and he was sleeping downstairs in his bedroom. And um, I, I yell for my brother that the man was here. And um, he, 
he had gone to school for criminal justice, so he had a whole police belt on, he had a police scanner, he had a baton, he had a gun, um, and he had a backpack full of zip ties, and he had um, a bottle of gasoline, all of this stuff. Well, he hogtized my brother, so he, um, his ankles and, um, and wrists are bound, and then they connected in the back, so he's laying down on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he tells me that he's going to take my daughter and I and he's going to kill himself in front of us. And um, I, uh, I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. And I, he put actual handcuffs on my wrists and tied my ankles together. And one of the very many reasons why I believe in God is that night my dad was at his girlfriend's house and my, um, <clears throat> my stepmom's daughter got sick and... She wanted to lay in bed with my stepmom. And my dad's like, totally cool, I'll just go home. Instead of going downstairs and laying on the couch or anything like that, he came home at 1.30 in the morning. And I'm, how our house is lined up, it's our kitchen, our dining room, and our living room all in one straight shot. And I'm sitting in the kitchen at the kitchen table. And he could see me in the window, but he could not see that I was tied up or anything. And so he comes in, and the man meets him at the door with a gun pointed right at my dad's face. He does the same thing to my dad. Um, Balances his ankles and his, and his wrists and puts him down next to my brother. Um, so I am having to sit here and witness my family um, being taken hostage by this man that I fear so much. Well, when he had gotten there, he had cut um, the phone lines to the house, and he had also taken my cell phone. Well, after he put my dad on the floor, he take his jacket off, and my cell phone was in his jacket pocket, and he put it on the washer and dryer, which is in the kitchen with me. And I, um, he had undone one of my handcuffs because my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter was obviously very distraught, having to witness her uncle and her, right. her grandfather go yeah. through this. Yeah. And so while he was in there, I crept up and went into his jacket, and I got his cell phone, or my cell phone, um, I sat back down, and I'm literally crouching behind my yeah. daughter like this, trying yeah. to call 911. And didn't you say you had to, like, call, hang up, whisper, yes. call, yep. hang up, and whisper? and it's a flip phone, so I had to flip that. Wait, a flip phone? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> that was my first cell phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I, the 911 dispatch finally was able to understand where I was located, and what was kind of going on, said that officers were on their way. Well, it was the middle of winter, it was a really bad snowstorm, and um, it was taking them a long time to get out there. And so I kept on calling back, you know, where are they? Well, the man is sitting and he's asking my dad questions about yeah. me and what I've been doing, and he's trying to say how bad of a person I was. And um, he started to, every time that my dad would say something he didn't like, he would hit him over the back with the police baton that he had. And it must have been three or four times. And finally, on the last time, he dumped lighter fluid on my dad and said he was going to light him on fire. Yeah. And at this time, I, I, I had held it together for the most part, but I completely yeah. lost it. Um, the dog now, starts barking. Let's, let's stop there, because I want to, and I even talked to your dad after the service, but... You then fast forward and talk to your dad later about that moment, because there's something pretty interesting about your father. My dad is very religious, and so I was, I was always growing up to, to have a faith in God, and my dad, he is stronger than me. Um, as the man is dumping lighter fluid on him, he says, 
all right, God, if you're ready for me, I'm here. Yeah. Come take me. So I talked to your father after the service, and I said, tell me about that moment. He goes, I don't know. He goes, you never think you have that. And he says, at that moment, I just said, God, all right, I'm going to let go. And he said a calmness came over him. And I thought, wow. You know, you, you, don't, you don't get to talk to people necessarily about in those moments, but pretty powerful. And yes. so then he talked about, he, he was so glad you put it in there at the end. So I want to make sure he said the one thing that sustained him is what? The footprints. Yes. Yeah. That, um, that for my entire journey that I, I felt like I was being strong, that I was the one who was getting me through all of this. And if I would have looked down and saw footprints, I would have thought that those were mine because even though I've had my weak points, I'm also strong. But I'm not the one who's strong. He is the one yeah. who makes me strong. And those are his footprints that I yeah. see, not mine. Yeah, and if you've read that poem before, and that is, is that Jesus is carrying you. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful picture? Yeah. So, um, so here you are, and then you had talked about how this becomes the most difficult decision in your entire life because you have a moment here so unpack that for us well the dog starts barking and the man goes and outside and police officers are yelling that he is surrounded and he comes back in and says that he's going to take my daughter and i out as hostages and he goes into my brother's bedroom and he's yelling out at them and i had to make the hardest decision i ever had to make because my brother and my dad are laying on the ground helpless yeah and I had my daughter in my arms, and I made a split-second decision, just like when I threw that, caught my car in the park. I grabbed her, and I hopped outside, and I left my brother and my dad in there mm. at the mercy of him. Yeah, and you, and you describe it's like the coldest day and night in winter, and, and you're hopping in socks that yeah. are you know going to keep your feet super warm, right? Hopping in the cold. Mm -hmm. Um, and I make you, it about 50 feet and I collapse. It was just, yeah. it was too cold. And um, a police officer came and threw my daughter and I over his shoulders and ran to, um, ran to the, uh, where the police car was waiting for wow. us and an ambulance. Um, and then, um, yeah. yeah. So you're, he's end up, he, this man is end up rescued because he tries to take his life and then everybody everybody's okay at least physically mm -hmm. uh so fast forward he's he is I, I believe arrested and then go from there he uh, well there were months and months of court hearings he was found not guilty by mental defects so instead of going to prison um he was put into a um into a mental institution so um started off in winnebago county and he was transferred to mendota um, he was released a couple of years later for about two years and he ends up um, getting his probation revoked and gets put back into Mendota. In that time, I had um, started dating someone else, um, someone that was not for me. Um, I thought that he was. I, I was with him for almost five years and we were engaged and it, um, something wasn't sitting right. It wasn't obviously as bad of a relationship as with um, the man, but um, it wasn't it wasn't for me. And when I met my good friends Carrie and Joe um, over here, Carrie is my best friend, and I, um, along with her and a couple other of my friends, where I saw the relationships that they have together as a husband and wife, and I see how my friends are treated by their husbands with respect and with love. And no one is perfect, and they have problems just like everyone yeah. else. 
but I looked at my life and I was not happy with what I had. And I would rather, I don't believe in divorce, I would rather be single for the rest of my life than than be stuck with someone and be miserable. You get one life. So I called it off, um, being friends with them, gave me that last push that I needed and I called off the wedding and 2012 was my year. I So that was the year started to change. Now go back a little bit because you go through a rough, he's in and out with court systems, but really there's something going on with you because you hit a low point. I did. Um, my early 20s, I, I went through the, probably the darkest places in my whole life. I suffered post-traumatic stress, didn't know about it until just a couple years ago when I actually went to a counselor. I suffered from depression, anxiety. I tried all of the memories that I had of my relationship with that man. And then with all of the events that happened after that, I had all of this going on up in here and I tried to drown them in alcohol. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't, I didn't, I wanted to forget about it. I didn't want it anymore. Yeah. Um, I was a, a really bad mom um, in those couple of years. There were times I couldn't even peel myself out of bed because yeah. the depression was so bad. Um, and I, I slowly started to, to get my way out of my rock bottom. Yeah. And um, even though I thought I was getting better, and I was, I still wasn't at the capacity that my mm. life was supposed to be at. Seems like God sent people to your life to, to breathe hope into your life, yeah. to give you a new picture. So let's talk about then the, the escape, because that, that kind of is the last chapter there, and then God starts to do more. But let's talk just about that for a moment. Um, like I said, 2012 was a great year for me. I got certified um, to teach group fitness classes. I started working at Western part-time and then full-time, and I just kept on going up the ladder, and I just... I felt a connection with these individuals and I felt a passion in fitness. And um, July 2nd, 2013, I was at my daughter's um, soccer game out in Howard and I got a phone call from my cousin's cousin who's a police officer in um, the Oshkosh, Menasha area. And she had said that the man had escaped from the mental hospital that he was in. And all I did was I looked around and I, out in the open, he could be anywhere. And that right there is one of the worst fears I've ever had because with the hostage situation, I felt like I was somewhat in control, whereas now I didn't know where he was. Right, you could see him, he's in front of you, but now you can't, you don't know where he is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So my good friend, Joe, who is a police officer, called me and um, he said, Amanda, get to my house immediately. It, It was a statewide call that he had escaped. And so I got to his, um, to their house and um, police officers everywhere and I'm talking with investigators from Madison and all of this stuff. And um, so my daughter and I, we end up staying the night. They're just like, you know, they'll find out by morning. Just spend the night right. here. You'll be fine. You'll be safe here. Um, morning comes and still nothing. They hadn't found him. Um, my daughter and I get escorted, I mean, traumatizing for, you know, she was 12, having to get escorted by police officers and have your house searched because yeah. your father could be in there. Yeah. Like, it was, I just, my heart went out to her. I wasn't concerned about yeah. me. I was never concerned about me. I was concerned about them because we were yeah. in their house. Right. Um, so we packed, not knowing how long we were supposed to pack for, and we were there two and a half months. 
Well, should we just like thank Joe and Carrie for just keeping you that long? No, I'm just, <laughs> wow, there's a lot there. Huh? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's all you're getting. No rent, <laughs> nothing else. That was it right there. But um, it's so funny. and I, I forgot to say this last. Uh, even though, uh, yes, it was a scary situation, but some of the best memories I have yeah. are of, of Carrie and I like in that house and laughing and sitting in our pajamas and watching Netflix. You know, like I created some of the best memories and I created the best friendship out of not just that situation, but, but everything. Now, I know you brought a puppy. That's what I heard. Your, oh, your services. Yeah. Sorry. And Neo is in there. Neo, <laughs> Neo is the police dog that we've had on stage. So you can imagine that interaction. Just with, a little with, puppy with a oh, big yeah. police dog. <laughs> so uh, obviously that, that he's found, that's on some level been resolved. But really, we're, we're not even telling all that because of him. It's sometimes we don't recognize that God puts stuff in our path for us. And someone in between services said this about your story to me, said, I'm reminded how God needs to give us, he knows what he needs to put in front of our path to change us. And so someone at the service said, it sounds like that's what she needed for her and her life. And that's a strange tension because are you kidding? Does God put that stuff in our way? I don't know. But I want to talk about your, your spiritual journey because God seems to be redeeming you throughout this whole process. And you kind of have this, I would call restoration, a renewing of your faith, but you have a moment because you were attending here for about three years. Mm -hmm. What unpacks here for kind of that, I think it was a red X kind of a, a moment for you. Well, first of all, I cry every time I come here. Like, I even before, I'm like, why do they have to play that song? I'm going to be up That's, there and It's Bobby's about. fault. It's all Bobby. <laughs> I don't try to do that to you. No, it's beautiful. Um, but I do. This place moves me like no other place has ever moved me. I feel, I feel safe here. This is, I've said it before, this is my safe place. Um, both Western and this place there, I feel safe here. I feel like... Like coming up here and talking to all of you today, I, I'm, I'm not feeling judged for being a bad mom. I'm not up here um, to say ill of anyone. I'm up here to share how God used me to, to help others. And so my, um, my special day that I had, I call it my ex moment because um, as we were all talking about our red exes in this place, I had mine, I, I, it must have been, less than a year ago, and we were going to communion, and they had staff at every single one of the communion places, and, um, you know, they said, if you need anyone, staff is at, are there if you need them, and I always go to the one over here, because I always sit over here, and um, my very dear friend, Kat Van Fossen, was up there, and I went to communion, and I went and sat back down, and I... I had this overwhelming feeling come over me and I can't even describe what it felt like. And I went running back into her arms and I just cried and she prayed for me. Mm. I've never had anyone sit there and pray for me like that before. Yeah. And my gosh, the song I think was over by the time I let her go. Um, and I just, I felt like God was instilling in me something that I hadn't gone through all of this for nothing. I, I feel like there is purpose behind it, and I feel like in any bad situation, there's good that can come out of that. And um, 
and I decided that I wanted to start public speaking. And um, I started um, with the Green Bay Police Department. Um, I was uh, at the, the Golden House Barbecue last year. I was their advocate for that. I got to say thank you to every single police officer that was out at wow. um, my house that night by speaking from the Brown County Sheriff's Department. Um, this, I've been wanting to do this up here for about two years now, and I feel like back then I wasn't ready. I feel like I had one more chapter, and that was the escape to, to, to experience that for my story to be complete. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I need to share that because yeah. there are people here today that might be going through something, maybe not something as traumatic as what I've gone through, because we all have our different stories and we all have different levels on, on what is traumatic for us. But for me, I felt like sharing this because there's so many different parts of it that could touch different people right. that I felt like I can't just let it right. go. I need to yeah, I think, Amanda, which is amazing, we've, we've talked quite a bit about your story. A couple things that I just want you to speak to. First, you have told me, and so affirm to me this is true, that you've forgiven both him, and, and you don't claim vic like you're a victim. No. What, how does God do that to a person? Because he, we're not here to judge others. We are here to live our lives in, in whatever he needs us to do, and to have that anger and to have all of that on my soul, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to let it go. It was ruining me. It was, it was consuming my life and yeah. I, I couldn't deal with yeah. that anymore. And probably part of your depression and some of that stuff, the alcohol and the different things that we all, we all go to some sort of crutch to try to numb the pain that we feel. And you probably just addressed that wrong strategy and said, no more, yeah. no more. But I also think it's amazing that your daughter still visits with his parents, um, yes. that freedom. That's amazing. I have, a, I have a good relationship with them. They did nothing wrong. It, yeah. it is not their fault of, of, his, um, of his actions, and um, their love for my daughter has not changed not right. one bit. And so I, I see in you, as I read James, uh, a joy. Don't, don't you see it? What's, I, you hear a lot of stories today of how we can posture ourselves as victims. You know, being a victim is a very, uh, it's one of the most powerful means of, of moving people and getting things done, saying you're a victim. And yet, Jesus could have said, uh, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of all of you and die, right? But he doesn't. And uh, this is just another one of those stories of, wow, what God can do. So I want to wrap this up by saying, talk to us about uh, how important has God been in your life, and what would you say to, you know, this is your chance to share about well, how is God important to, for us in this room? He is important to me I, because he is there when I, when I need him. And I, I look at all of my circumstances and he is not responsible for that. It is obviously the man who is responsible for that. But all the way from when I saw that video on abortion, all the way up until today, God already had my plan set out. He knew that this was going to happen, and he knew that I was strong enough to be able to get through it. 
And granted, yes, I have stumbled. I have stumbled in my faith. I've stumbled as a human being, as a mother. But he was always there to catch me. And that is the most beautiful and most amazing thing that I can think of, is that no matter what happens, he is always there when he needs us, when we need him. Pretty amazing story, huh? Can we thank Amanda? Uh, amazing. Thank you. Well, since you're standing, I, she's going to lead us in aerobics now. Um, it's amazing how a story can, can exercise your soul. Isn't that amazing? It's why the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Ah, to hear a story. To hear someone's story that could very easily camp in victimhood and very easily camp in bitterness and rage. And I want to say again this morning, what I've loved about hearing her story, there is no ill intent on this person, on that, that situation. It's her story. And one day, maybe we get to hear his. Maybe God uses all this to redeem another. And that's the amazing part, because you read your Bible, and you read some crazy stories, don't you? It almost feels like Amanda's story could have been slid right in there somewhere in, uh, in the Old Testament, right along with Daniel and Joseph and Esther. You, you read these. God has a story that he's writing on your life. And friends, this morning as we go to the, to the table, might you hear the words of the half-brother of Jesus who struggled to believe his own brother's claim of being the Messiah. Consider it pure joy. Brothers and sisters, could I paraphrase? Because you're going to have trials. And if you can stay underneath them, they're going to grow you. So some of you have a trial, and we're not to measure it to Amanda's this morning. It may be a relationship in this room. I might be your biggest trial. It could be. I don't know what your trial is. Don't leave it. Try to sit underneath it. Try to understand what God's teaching you. Try to embrace it as Jesus Christ was abused by the world, by you and I. He modeled something for us to say, listen, trials can grow you. They'll, they'll make you a better person. As you go to the table, though, some of you need encouragement, whether some of today's events with being a mom is just so much for you. Can I encourage you to grab the hand of a friend or a family member or reach out to somebody and just share your pain, share some of the struggle that you're going through. Be encouraged, don't go through it alone. Amanda didn't. She had a lot of friends and family. And remember that the blood and body of Christ is what redeems us. This story is not about how Amanda did it. This story is about how Jesus does it through a life that's surrendered to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, a great and mighty God that allows us to wander like prodigals, to 
to make choices that are not wise, but God, in that, you allow us to grow. You allow us to, to learn. God, this morning as we go to the table, might we once again be reminded of the great gift of sacrifice of Jesus. Amen.